You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, let's do this. Welcome to Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. My name is Wes Goldberg. I'm the former editor of allyoucanheat.com and a credentialed writer covering the Heat and the NBA for the Step Back, Fan Rack Sports, Miami Heat, Tip-Off Mag, and you can follow me on Twitter at WC Goldberg. And I'm David Ramil, credentialed NBA writer. He's covered the Heat for SB Nation and allyoucanheat.com. Covered the NBA at large for fan-sided, Fan Rack Sports. And you can follow me and my writing on Twitter at DRamil13. We're recapping the Heat's 110-104 to loss to the Hawks tonight. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the interesting coaching decisions. And then we're going we're gonna to go over our uh, spotlight players of the game. But let's start with the fact that the Heat entered tonight's game with just nine active players. So starters, Goran Dragic, Hassan Whiteside, James Johnson, they were all out. Justice Winslow was out. O'Kara White and Ronnie Magruder were also out, as they have been for most of the season. Richardson was the lead ball handler and the Heat's best player, I thought, in the first half, but after a bad third quarter in which the Heat were outscored 29-19, the Heat entered the fourth quarter down 11 points, 87-76. Then they went small with Jordan Mickey at center and later Bam Adebayo and then Kelly Olynyk and four guards for all of the fourth quarter. So Deion Waiters, Tyler Johnson, Josh Richardson, Wayne Ellington uh, around one big. They got it to a one-point game with a minute and five seconds left after a Josh Richardson layup, but then Kent Bazemore, who ended up with 10 points in the fourth quarter, hit a contested 15-footer over Bam Adebayo, and then on the next possession, made a driving layup to put the Hawks up by five with 24 seconds left, and that was it. The Heat's comeback falls short, but all in all, I thought, David, it was a spirited try for a shorthanded team. Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> that, that is a positive spin on it. Um, I, I'm not nearly as positive about it as you are. I think Atlanta's roster is mostly not pretty good. Worst record uh, in the they had a number of, uh, Yeah, they had a number of players that were sitting out themselves. They were starting, you know, Ilyasova, uh, you know, Miles Plumley, uh, you know, Bazemore's had a very bad season. Uh, for the most part, Dennis Schroeder and Torian Prince are the other two best players, and that's not saying much exactly. Um, and, and I still think Miami had enough talent to pull out this victory, I think it was mostly a result of just overall lethargic behavior from them. I think they kind of felt that maybe they didn't have a chance going in there because they were underhanded or shorthanded. And, and, and so I think they were kind of looking at it as a, I don't know. I, I, I think they went in there thinking that they could kind of just coast through this game and maybe still have a chance. And in fact, they did. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think they, they, they turned up the, the, the intensity a little bit in the fourth quarter, and it certainly paid off. But for the most part, I just don't—I didn't see them active and engaged for most of the game, and I think it showed. Well, the first quarter ended up pretty. They—they they played well in the first quarter. I thought they—they they led high scoring the first quarter, thirty to twenty. It was high scoring. Yeah, there was defense. no no defense being played. You mentioned that Atlanta was missing. All they were missing was Dwayne Dedman, and he's not like a good player. Like he's fine. Like I just I think the Heat enter the Heat starting lineup entering the game. Played only four minutes Mike together Scala. all season. Ah, Mike Scala doesn't play anyway. Um, Miami entered that game with that starting lineup. They only played four minutes together all season. And I think, not necessarily an excuse, but the communication issues weren't there. I mean, Miami's defensive rotations weren't nearly as tight as they usually are. You mentioned it was a high-scoring game. I think that was a big reason why Atlanta just dominated in the paint. They were getting to the rim at will. Um, they ended up with 46 points in the paint. That's a lot. Um, the, the Heat gave up 17 points off of turnovers. They gave up 
19 turnovers in that game. And they really missed, I thought, Goran Dragic. Will Manso uh, tweeted out a, a stat. Between Tyler Johnson, Josh Richardson, and Dion Waiters, they accounted for 11 of Miami's 19 turnovers. Clearly the Heat missed Goran Dragic in that game, right? Yeah, I mean, he certainly he's not been uh, on fire as of late, but he certainly uh, would have provided a little bit more stability in the backcourt. Uh, you know, he knows how to manage the game a little bit better. Um, he's actually, I think he's played Schroeder pretty well in the past, too. So I think he probably could have done a, a good job of, of uh, limiting Schroeder's drives to the rim. It seemed like he was just getting to the rim incessantly. I think uh, I think Tony uh, and Eric Reed pointed out that the first six shots of the game for Schroeder were all layups at the rim. Like he was just getting past there. The, the, you know, they were spacing the floor so much with Ilya Sova there. And when they had Plumlee out of the lineup. There was no rim protection at all. Uh, you know, Kelly Olenek or, or Jordan Mickey or whoever was in there at center just wasn't really blocking shots to rim for the most part. And uh, Schroeder was able to take advantage of that. So um, Olenek yeah. just couldn't st- stick with him. Um, yeah. Schroeder is just too fast. He's able to turn the corner against Olenek. And Olenek tried hard, you know. I mean, he had a bad game overall, but I thought he tried, tried hard defensively, but there's only so much he could do against Schroeder, you know. And yep. missing a Sun Whiteside as the Heat have for the last several games is one thing, right? And and they've done certain things like starting James Johnson at power forward, adding a little bit more size. James Johnson's a good rim protector at his position. They've done some things to kind of make up for the the absence of Whiteside. But when you're sure. missing Whiteside in addition to James Johnson and Justice Winslow, all good rim protectors at their position, that's nearly impossible to overcome, especially on a night where Linux not playing well. And I, at about, I thought Bam individually struggled against... Atlanta's length, and that's saying a lot because Atlanta's not super long. I mean, they've—I thought Bam in the start of that game really didn't play well against uh, John Collins, Irsan Ilyasova, or whichever of the Plumleys that they have. They—they—I <laughs> I thought Bam really struggled. He got—he got better as the game went on, but Bam's not a big guy. I mean, he's general, gen, uh, or generously listed at like six ten. He's closer to like six nine, and I think he comes in a hair shorter than that. Yeah, I'd say 6'8". Yeah. So I think Bam really struggled in that in that respect. He played power forward for most of the game, but even, you know, Atlanta's power forwards are pretty big. And again, in Ilyasova and Collins, they're both bigger than Adebayo, you know? Yeah. So. It, it just it just looked like a, a disjointed effort. And again, I, I can see your point about not getting much playing time together, but, you know, you still have Waiters and Richardson and, 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 and Tyler Johnson. They, they played well. Yeah, yeah, and, and Bam. I mean, Olenek, all those guys have started at some point throughout the season. It's not like they were completely unsure of what to do out there. But I, I think a lot of it was, most, uh, you know, mostly effort, and and that didn't kind of manifest until the fourth quarter. And when they were realized, holy cow, we're done. We're down. Was it fourteen to the to the Atlanta Hawks in the fourth quarter? I mean, with like six minutes left to play, they were down by a, a huge margin. And they all of a sudden realized. Well, we can't really do this to a, a team who's only won with six games, was it? I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah. I think Eric Spolstra. I think Eric Spolstra coached his butt off in that game, like as well as he could have to try to, to try to keep them in position to win it. We're going to talk about his coaching decisions next, but um, first, Locked On Heat still has inventory for sponsorships this season. This is a great opportunity for local South Florida businesses to connect with Heat fans. Say you own a sports bar or a sports memorabilia store. Maybe you're in a you're, uh, you're in the real estate business. You're a contractor and you're unhappy with traditional advertising online or in print. Know that podcast listeners are 65% more likely to engage with advertisers. Locked on Heat listeners are generally male, about 96%, and between the ages of 18 and 45, 
Our rates are reasonable, and they're based on the number of listens, so it's an eff- efficient use of your time and money. For more information on rates or next steps, email us at LockedOnHeat at gmail.com, and we could be talking about your company right here on the show. All right, later we're going to get to our spotlight players, but let's talk about Spolster's coaching decisions. There was a few notable ones in that game. I want First of all, I want to talk about him going small in the fourth quarter because the Heat were down 11 points to start the fourth quarter, and we've seen teams in the NBA do this more often than not. When they are down like that and they're struggling to score, they just say, screw it. I'm putting all as many guards as I can out there at once. And that's basically what Spolster did. He started with Mickey at center, shortly went to Bam Adebayo when, when it was Bam's turn to check in. And around the center, he had Dion Waiters, Tyler Johnson, uh, Wayne Ellington, and Josh Richardson. So four guards for the entirety of the fourth quarter. And give them credit. I mean, they got it to a one-point game at, at, with a minute left. They got it to a one-point game. And I, I thought that lineup was playing really well together. Um it just it kind of added more shooting to the unit. It got them back in it. Uh, we knew that run was coming, and I think that really helped it along. But uh, it was just it was too little, too late. But an interesting decision by Coach Spolstra. I'm not sure we've seen him ever go that small for that long of a period of time. At no, least I this think season. Right this season, I mean. Yeah, it certainly seemed like a. This was something we haven't seen, and you know, it's it's you know, invention is a, what is the necessity is the mother of invention. Yeah, and I think yeah. he, he goes to this lineup. He probably wouldn't go to this lineup if he had just a little bit more depth on there. I'm pretty sure Winslow would have played yeah. um, late in the game if for nothing else's defense. You know, uh, you know they could talk about space more. Yeah, yeah. You know, unfortunately, the the Ellington situation was a problem because you just you need him out there for his three point shooting, which has been reliable so much of the season. And unfortunately, he he wasn't shooting very well. He went only one of six for six points. And then defensively, he was pretty bad. In pick-and-roll situations, he was victimized pretty regularly. He gave up a a lot of room to base more unnecessarily. He couldn't handle the switch if it came. Um, Overall, again, I I saw the effort from him, but it just wasn't able to close out. Baysmore's got, what, three inches on him? I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's, it's It's a tough assignment for him. But, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what else he could have done. He couldn't have gone with Derek Walton Jr. You're going to put Haslam out there, although the, Richard, the captain did play one minute. That's true. And hit a turnaround jumper that didn't, that ended up not counting. Um, but Richardson, they should have, right? Richardson was on, on Schroeder to end the game, so Ellington was basically forced to be on there. Waiters had a terrible game defensively, I thought. Like, just didn't play well, um, even though he played well offensively. Um, but I was, He gives up a lot of size to, to Torian Prince, too, right? Yeah, I mean, that was that was... Tough. I mean, it was it was a tough mismatch overall for them because Miami was the Heat already don't have like a true small forward on the roster. So when you're out of all of your weird tweener forwards, it's basically just guards and and your backup centers. That's what the Heat were playing with tonight. So they had no and and if the Hawks have anything, if the Hawks have anything, it's tweener forwards like and, and a lot of them, right? So those guys were able to just kind of go to town against them. Um, the other thing I want to talk about with Spolster was. The pick-and-roll coverage. This was another part where I, I mentioned Spolster just coaching his butt off. Schroeder, like you said earlier in the show, his first six shots or something like that were just easy layups at the rim, and Miami just had no answer for it in the first half as far as um, you know, the Hawks. They, they constantly were putting Schroeder and a big man, usually Plumlee, in the pick-and-roll, and, and Miami's bigs were playing a more conservative style where they were falling back but Schroeder was just too fast he's able to turn the corner and get and get to the rim against them in the second half 
we saw more of that big three era type of pick and roll coverage where the bigs are showing more on the, and the pick and roll, not necessarily playing it hard, going above right. the screen, but playing to the level of the screen and showing hard on the on the on the pick. And then that I thought kind of uh, dissuaded Schroeder from trying to turn that corner. It makes it just a little bit harder when they've got the angle on it. And then I thought Budenholzer had an interesting wrinkle after that. He would a lot, a lot of times Schroeder would get a running start, do like a, like a little dribble handoff or pitch to a big kind of run around the baseline a little bit and do a loop-de-loop around the court and then and then get a running start going into the pick and roll. And then that got Schroeder going a little bit more in the second half. So a really interesting chess match between Spolstra and, and Mike Budenholz, the Hawks coach, um, in that second half. I thought I, that, to me, was fun. I didn't notice that, that move with Schroeder, so I'm going to have to go back and rewatch that. But that sounds pretty interesting there. Yeah, I mean, and then Spolstra kind of answered it by just, you know, hey, show a little bit harder because Schroeder's a smaller point guard, you show a little bit harder on it, and and he, it's, he's still not able to turn that corner quite as fast. Um, so just interesting pick and roll coverage overall. I thought it was it was a really well coached game by both sides. Unfortunately, Spolster just didn't have the horses. I mean, Tony Fiorentino and Eric Reed at the end of that game even they commented on on Miami just being fatigued. You know, just like waiters and and all those guys just like bent over and just you know breathing heavily. Bam, Adebayo was doing the same thing. It just when you've only got nine active players, that's I don't care what team you're playing. That you're losing most of the times. But Spolster coached his butt off, I thought, in that game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, even the Hawks went the uh, eleven deep. It seems, you know, and Haslam only played one minute. So in reality, they only played eight guys uh, in tonight's game, and right. uh, it's just it was just too much for them to handle. So, you know, I, I, as far as Spolster's concerned, I mentioned before we started recording, I got a little bone to pick with that because I think he did keep Olenek there a little bit too long considering how much he was struggling. I don't know that he was doing his job as he normally does defensively and offensively he was pretty bad. One of eight overall, 0 of three from downtown. Uh, He was getting to the line or at least he got a couple of foul calls his way. Five rebounds, five assists. I mean, he's definitely a a much better playmaker than any other option they have at this point. Uh, You know, probably a better option than they normally have anyway as far as the center position is concerned. But I would have liked to have seen what maybe if Jordan Mickey could have gotten a little bit of a mismatch. You know, maybe he would have felt a little bit more comfortable. He did finish with nine points, uh, four of seven from the field. You know, one of one from three point range. Yeah, so. he made he made a three point shot. You know, yeah. Olenek missed all three of his. It's an. I mean, I get having Olenek out there, like you said, for the playmaking ability. I mean, even you know, Mickey and Bam flashes some good playmaking ability too. But Bam played thirty minutes. I mean, he played as much as he could have. But yeah. Maybe playing Mickey, who played 24 minutes a little bit more, over Olenek, who played 29. Olenek was a minus 12, which I think was the... Oh, no, Tyler Johnson was minus, minus 13. 14. Minus 13. Oh, I have minus 12 on mine. Either way. Oh. Um, he was minus 12 or 13, which was bad, right? So, <laughs> Not good, yeah. Maybe, yeah, maybe Mickey could have been more effective. I get having Olenek out there for the playmaking skills and just his general three-point shooting. Maybe, you know, if you're Spolster, you're just like, these are my options. You know, I think if, in a similar situation, if he if he would have had James Johnson, he probably plays James Johnson at center, you know, or even Justice oh, yeah. Winslow at center. But he just doesn't. And he's like, it's between Olenek and Mickey, and Olenek is just higher in the pecking order, so I'm going with him. And I guess that was a decision. So it's hard to fault him too much, but I agree. It would have been interesting to see what Mickey could have done. He he did have a little bit more of a shooting stroke kind of going in that game. Olenek was just like one of eight, just bad. That Mickey was bad. at least four of seven. Um <laughs> All right, let's talk about our spotlight players next. Uh, but first, quick reminder to make sure that you are subscribed to Locked on Heat on iTunes, Google Play, 
and Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts, and leave us a review on iTunes to help other Heat fans discover the show. Also, be sure to check out what the, the rest of what the Locked On Network, Locked On Podcast Network has to offer, including shows for every NBA and NFL team. The Locked On Podcast Network, your team, every day. All right, David, spotlight player time. I know you're reluctant to do it, but if you can give a positive spotlight on somebody, who would it be? Well, I, I can't fault him. Uh, it was Josh Richardson is my spotlight player of the game. You know, finished with 26 points to lead all scores on either side. 10 of 19 shooting overall, 2 of 5 from three-point range. Had four or five free throws, finished with four rebounds, three assists, three steals, two blocks, three turnovers. Not particularly great. There were some moments there where he looked a little shaky handling the ball, as he is wont to do. But his shooting early on in the first quarter really set the tone. Uh, He continues to be on a hot streak there. uh, And against the Hawks, again, in the first quarter, really kept him in the game early on when Atlanta got to an early lead. Josh answered back with a couple threes in the first quarter and then kind of had that, that that offense going all night. Had the floater game going over Atlanta's bigs. Um, looked pretty comfortable there. Had a, a nice – I'm trying to remember. I think he stole the ball. I can't remember now. It was, I guess it was Schroeder. He picked Schroeder's pocket and then took it in for a nice dunk afterwards. That was a really, really, really positive play from him. And he just continues to play at a high level. Look, he struggled early in the season – but I think this is more along the level that we expected to reach when we were making our, our preseason uh, you know, uh, projections as far as what we to expect out of Josh. And I think he certainly lived up to it. Uh, I think Fiorentino pointed out that a game against the Hawks was like a catalyst for Josh Richardson during his rookie year. So I wonder if maybe we're starting to see a trend here where oh. he's going to start improving as far as the rest of the season is concerned. You know, Richardson was clearly, and on a night where the Heat were missing all of their best players, Josh Richardson was the best player left. Um, yeah. You know, played a game-high 41 minutes. He was he was not only the guy that Spolstra handed the ball over to start the game, right? He was like, look, this is your ball. You know, you're bringing the ball up. You're initiating the offense. He gave him that responsibility. But on the defensive end, he also said, you're also guarding Dennis Schroeder. Yeah. And, and Richardson did... He went. He he did his job on both ends of the court for 41 minutes of that game. I thought he played yeah. his butt off in that game. And late in the game uh, on Schroeder, he allowed him to kind of get past him as he was driving to the rim. But right. his length is so superior. He packed a couple of his shots at the rim there. That was that was really impressive. Like I'm thinking, oh no, Schroeder's gone past him. He's going to drive to the layup, drive in for the layup again. And, and, and Richardson just completely eliminated the shot. Beautiful yeah. use of his left there. Right. Rather rather than just stay in front of Schroeder and then just try to score on the other end. I mean, he was competitive as all heck on the right. defensive end. I mean, he was, he was strategically going for blocks and steals. I mean, really just putting forth the effort and, and just, you know, using that energy that could otherwise have been just saved for the offensive end, which was his, his main responsibility tonight. Uh, but he, he, he did it enough. Um at both ends, and I mentioned before my uh, Tony's comment about um, a lot of the Heat players looking gassed at the end of the game. The one player he didn't mention looked gassed was Josh Richardson. Richardson probably could have played for another twenty minutes. You know, <laughs> I thought I thought I, we saw a really competitive version of Josh Richardson tonight. He's been he's been great for Miami lately. Just he's been flat out their one of their best two or three players every single night. We're really maybe seeing him turn a corner here. I don't want to jump the gun a little early, too early on anything, but his shot is back. You know, ten and nineteen from the floor. He's doing it at a high volume now, which is not something we used to see so much from Richardson. Um, and he's just and he's doing all the other things to kind of um, check off the boxes in the box score a little bit more. Um, 
he's just been playing great, and he had a great game against Atlanta. Um, yep. My spotlight player is Bam Adebayo. Second career double-double, I believe. Um, he had, what was it, 11 points, 10 rebounds, four of which were offensive rebounds. Uh, he had an interesting night to me because it wasn't his most efficient night. It wasn't his best night defensively. I mean, we've seen nights where Bam is, you know, locked up LeBron James for a possession or Steph Curry for a possession. Um, I, I mentioned earlier that he struggled with Atlanta's size, but I did think he got better as the game went on. He started to, you know, find find ways to box out a little bit better, giving a little bit more effort maybe on on the glass, really, you know, learning Atlanta's patterns and just trying to figure out where he could fit in and take advantage of it. And those are the sort of things that I'm starting to notice with Bam. Double double aside, that's impressive. I mean, he made a he made a nice impact on the game tonight, and he played uh, 30 minutes, which was a high for for Miami's big men. But that he is showing a feel for the game, which is really promising. You know, just being able to learn as the game goes on and get better as the game goes on is so important for a young player. His again, his feel for the game is just it's really encouraging. I. The more the more I watch him, the the more I realize this isn't just an athlete. They didn't just draft this this raw prospect. Remember when the Heat drafted Bam? First of all, we were all like, "Who?" And then second of all, all we kept hearing was raw prospect, one year at Kentucky, raw prospect, blah blah blah. This guy is smart too, and I feel like we don't give him enough credit for that. Like really good basketball IQ. Yeah, he, he is definitely showing more polish as time goes on, and I think a lot of that has to do with the experience of. Getting quality playing minutes and, and and you know making the most of those opportunities. Let's be honest though, he's not gonna he's not gonna get that playing time if he doesn't have the athleticism to keep up with other NBA right. veterans. But yes, it, it certainly helps that he's probably got a better feel for it even at 20 than most rookies do, and and he's starting to show a lot more composure than we look. And he, it's it's been a really nice stretch for him going back to really solid games against Pogasol and LaMarcus Aldridge. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember who else now, but it escapes me. But he's had some really nice games matching up with, with established veteran bigs that we were wondering whether or not he would be able to keep up with them, especially with Whiteside gone. We needed somebody to, to kind of step in and fill that void up. He's done an excellent job. That athleticism certainly there. The composure's there. It's been a really, really nice showing for Bam. You know, we, we talked about in our mailbag – whether or not we trade for a guy like Paul George, I'm starting to get to the point where I wouldn't want to trade Bam out of bio for anybody. I, I like him on our roster, and I'm, I'm hopeful that he'll continue to develop throughout the season. Man. Silver linings with Whiteside's injuries, we're seeing a lot of Bam out of bio, and, and we're all encouraged by what we're seeing. So, um, all right, we'll be back tomorrow, but that's all we have for today. Thank you for listening. You can send mailbag questions for next week and inquire about advertising on the show by sending an email to lockdownheat at gmail.com. Tweet your questions and comments for our recaps using the hashtag AskLOHeat. And make sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And then go on iTunes, rate us, review us, say nice things about us. Music is courtesy of Mojave Wild. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for joining me, David. You got it, Wes.